So I want to start off by asking a question. Who has ever shared their testimony in any form, shape, or size? Let me just lift your hands quickly to just see. Okay. Okay, who has specifically prepared your testimony or shared it to someone you know? You were intentional about it. Maybe just also show you your hands. Let's just get an indication. So you, you plan to share something with someone? Okay, now this is a more difficult one. Who has shared a testimony with a complete stranger? You don't know this person. Okay. It's a few of us. I think that's a bit more daunting. I'm going to start by telling a story. <laughs> well, I tried to do that once. Um, so it was in, I think, probably 2014 or something um, at university. And I had this one classmate that I used to sit next to. So he wasn't a complete stranger, but we've never hanged out together. We just see each other in class. And then just one day I asked him, hey, man, can I maybe share my story with you sometime? He's like, yeah, sure. He's a bit introverted. I'm a bit introverted. So... Two very shy guys now going, sitting on a bench there at Stellenbosch. And um, now I'm just not telling him my story. And he was just, he was just very, he was just open to it. I was actually quite surprised how open someone would be for me to just share this story with. Nothing really came of it. It felt a bit awkward. But for me, I think it was a big growing step, you know, like, oh, I can actually do this. It's actually easier than I thought. So sometimes I think it can get a bit awkward and difficult. But... I'm going to dig into the Bible now of why sometimes um, this is necessary and just helping us get some handles. So it doesn't always feel like, oh, I'm thrown in the deep end. This is a fail- feels like I'm set up for failure. But um, yeah, I-, I hope that I can shed some light on this. So the title of my sermon um, today is My Testimony, Why It Matters and Letting It Count. So My Testimony, Why It Matters and Letting It Count. So I also just realized that um, I think I've been part of this congregation now for two years, but most of you actually don't know my, my personal story, my story of salvation, how I got to know the Lord. So I just thought I'd give you a bit of background on who, who I am. So I actually grew up in this area, in Langeberg Ridge, um, close to Cape Gate. Um, when I was young, I was quite reserved, very quiet, was a deep thinker, and I used to overthink a lot also, even as a like... A primary school kid, I would overthink like crazy. And I grew up in a very traditional church, so we, we don't have worship like we had worship here today. I was used to that. That was my norm. How uh, we would um, very traditional. There was no reality of God in my life. I just went on Sundays because someone told me I had to go on Sundays to church. But there's a thing: just because you go to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. I think the same way. Just because you sleep in a garage, it won't make you a car. And we need to realize that. I think sometimes we think, yeah, if I just go to church, I'm a Christian. But no, you don't become a car if you sleep in a garage. So one of the things also is I, I, I really didn't like making mistakes. Like it felt to the core of my inside, I don't like mistakes. So I would always connect my words with, oh, I can maybe say something wrong. And then people would, I don't know, just whip me or hit me or I don't know, that's not how I grew up, but some, something in me didn't want to make mistakes. So I, therefore, I didn't want to speak because I might be scared I say something stupid and my friends will laugh at me and it just didn't feel nice, you know. So I rather just kept quiet and trying to overanalyze and think, when is the right time to say this word? And finally, when I got it, the, the conversation has moved about five minutes ahead. Like, okay, this one fit in here, okay, put it back in the back pocket for next time. So it was difficult growing up. Um, I was about up until the age of 13. And on the inside of me, I really, um, yeah, I really, really felt like I had a speech impediment. I couldn't speak. It was like my mouth was just not, it wasn't 
it was I, I was you know probably confused also and uh, you know growing up teenage years that you become all the more I think um, conscious about your self image and all of that so I also had that in the mix but um, on the inside I, I really wanted to relate to people and be friends of people but I felt actually because I can't speak it's difficult to build relationships so that was quite difficult for me so that was me before I met Jesus so. Um, yeah, I was. I couldn't even speak in front of three people. I would just like tense up and just become quiet. Um, maybe with one person I can speak a little bit, but um, that was like ten words, and then my my quota was up for the day. So it was it was really difficult growing up, um, having all of these things. So in 2008, when I was 13 years old, um, a friend of mine invited me to a youth group. So um, I went along, and I had no idea what was going on. And for me, this was actually very weird. Um, they worshipped with hands up in the air. They worshipped the Lord freely, much like we worship the Lord now. And I just felt like, yo, this is really, um, it's not so, so lacquer. It just, yeah, so, yeah, I went to that youth group. Um, they were worshipping the Lord freely. It was really difficult. I was like, oh, this is weird. It's like a doctor room. It's someone's living room. And I thought, yes, I think I might have just walked into a cult here. Like, this is weird stuff, man. I don't like this. I want to get out. Um, but the next thing they ask is, hey, who wants to meet the Holy Spirit? I'm just like, <laughs> yay. <laughs> but for some weird reason, I looked at my friend and we said, yes, let's do this. <laughs> and um, yeah, then they start praying in tongues. I'm like, okay, now this is getting weird. That was freaking me out. So I remember um, within me, I just started reaching out to God like, Lord, if this is you, protect me. Lord, if this is you, protect me. I just was praying to him. Lord, just protect me. I'm feeling scared here. This is uh, not a nice, comfortable experience. But here I am. And people are play, praying in weird languages. But in that moment, the power of God actually came over me um, in a way that I've never experienced in my life. Not sure if I will ever, but I, I actually fell to the ground. I remember in that moment, it's like my entire world just disappeared. It was just me and God. It was like nothing else mattered. It's just me and God. And all I can see, my entire being was just fixed on him and I was like it was like yeah it was it was out of this world experience and this is not normal I just to clarify this is not the normal way I think people will get saved maybe I had to have that experience otherwise I would have been in drugs and all that stuff by now um, but the Lord he, he really gripped my heart and yeah there was a tangible feeling all over my body of the the presence and the power of God um, it was like it was like energy almost like electricity flowing through my body and when I woke up there, yes, I couldn't stop smiling. I, I was just smiling ear to ear. And it was just, um, yeah, I'm really thankful for that. And then later that evening, I was lying in bed. And that, that tangible feeling sort of went away. But it was still just hanging on my jaws. It was just there, like this, this feeling of the presence of God. And a few years later, I realized that it was actually the night the Lord actually freed me from my speech impediment. Where I couldn't speak in front of people. And I was so trapped. Um, the Lord actually came and touched my jaw, and he said, okay, but, yeah, I was, I was and it wasn't an overnight type of thing. I had to walk in it over years, grow more comfortable, but he did something at night that, yeah, only he could have done. I wasn't also very fortunate that I landed in a hostel room um, in my boarding school. I went to as a high school, school student, um, and I probably, there was this one guy, he was probably the most solid Christian out of that whole grade, and chances are we landed in the same group. I got saved that year, and I just looked at his life. He worshipped, I worshipped. He journaled, he wrote, 
He read the scriptures. I did that. I just copy-pasted. I didn't have any example. I wasn't in a church back then. And funny story, he only was in that school for one year, then he left. At one year, I was there. There was a person in my room. Of all the, I think, 11 rooms there were. Yeah, so it was just, I think, the Lord's intervention there to put me, connect me with the right people. Um, in 2012, that's my matric year, I attended a camp, and that's where the gospel was preached of Jesus. And for the first time in my life, the gospel made sense. It cut me to my heart. I was like, I know, after four years of knowing God, um, I realized I'm a sinner, um, that it's only through Jesus and the price that he paid for my sins, I can actually have free life, have eternal life, and actually have a relationship with him. And it was, I was cut to the heart. I like, you know, this is, I see it now for the first time in my life. And I knew I need to repent. So for that night, I think for a good few hours, I cried over my sins. I repented. I came before the Lord. And just all the sins I had, I just mentioned it to him. I gave it to him. And I saw Jesus on the cross and the price he paid for me. So that's, that's how I met Jesus. And I finally gave my life to him um, fully. So then, a bit of after that, so one of the first changes I noticed in 2008 was that my relationship with God felt alive for the first time. It was no longer this dead thing, talking to a figurative or imaginary God, but it was alive. And speaking to him and him speaking to me became a real thing. It was a two-way conversation now. I would speak to him. I knew he would hear me. I would read the scriptures and he would speak to me. So it was no longer this one-way thing like I think many of us, our experience were, especially mine, before I met him. And the Bible actually started becoming real to me, and I could understand what I was reading for the first time. And it was no longer this boring thing, this book I would read, but it became alive, and I just felt, wow. It's just, when, I, when I encountered God a few years ago, I knew I, I met the living God, and it was this thing in me, I need to get to know this living God. I can't not do that. Um, I started to become more free to start talking to people, and it became more comfortable, even though I had a few quirks. I'll maybe, over as time goes by, I'll tell you my funny quirks I had, but not now. And also, those fears of making mistakes um, started to fall away one by one. And um, I was starting to become free in many ways. And this is a journey, and the Lord hasn't stopped freeing me of things since then. Like, even now, the Lord is still freeing me of stuff, and He will still continue to free me of things um, until I become more and more like Him. And even though I experienced all of these things and my relation with God really felt amazing, um, you know, I was actually never taught the importance of belonging to a local church. So this was five years of me just going wherever I wanted to, going to this worship event and that prayer meeting and this cell group and that one. And life felt amazing. It felt like, wow, my relationship with Jesus is amazing. When no one taught me how important it is to actually be rooted and belonging in a church. And... I thought it was fine if you just go wherever and you find life. And the thing is, if you live like this, um, going from one experience to another, your relationship with Jesus might feel amazing, but um, being committed to a local church will make your character more like Jesus. And in 2013, I felt the Lord lead me to do a gap year, Timothy ministry team. Um, and they, they, were, they were part of a, another church. And that year, they actually transitioned into a Josh chain, much like what, what happened here in our context. And that was the first time um, I learned the importance of being part of a local church. Um, and my life was never the same again. And I'm actually so thankful the Lord moved me there. And I actually, I had to sign a contract. I will be part of this church, committed. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do that. 
and that was one of the best things I could have done. It felt a bit weird at the moment, but looking back, it was good. At times, it felt actually more difficult to be part of church than just being on my own and seeking the Lord wherever. But the joy of catching Jesus' heart for his bride and becoming a co-laborer in his house, that was just on another level for me. I realized, wow, this is actually something I've never seen before. And it's throughout the entire scriptures. You see, all the New Testament books are written in context of church, um, except the Gospels, because the church wasn't born yet. But the rest of them are all written in context of local church. And it's like I was starting to see the value and what was Jesus' heart for his church. Um, and in many ways, I think just being part, it solidified and formed my character in Jesus like ways I could never have imagined. Um, the way I was being formed and changed to become more like Jesus, it was like, it wasn't a comparison before and after. So, going a bit further, I did a Bible school gap year at Timothy ministry team, which I felt, and after that, I felt the Lord lead me to Stellenbosch to study. Um, funny thing is, I actually wanted to study theology and be full-time in ministry. That was my heart's desire. Just send me, Lord. I want to go. Go to the ministry field. And the Lord's like, okay, I want you to go study. I'm like, oh, man. Okay, I'll go. What must I go study? So, eventually, I felt him lead me to business management accounting. So, I did that for one year, after which I felt him lead me again to industrial engineering, um, which I actually really felt passionate about in my matric year. So, it's funny how he brought me back to that thing. And I think there was definitely there were reasons why he wanted me to do business management accounting. Um, but once again, I won't go into details, story for another time. Um, but that's how he just led me. And I ended up studying engineering for seven years in Stellenbosch, um, postgraduate and um, undergraduate levels. And for me, this felt like the sideline project studies. My main job was there to be part of the local church, to serve and love the people, build into church, learn about church. So most of my years in Stellenbosch, I served as a deacon there, really building into relationships. Um, you know, and just trusting, trusting, I think, with the other leaders there, and trusting with Jesus that this local church, which is in Stellenbosch, it will become all that Jesus has called this church to be. And it was great to see the culture change and all the stories and testimonies from there. So after then, I completed my studies in 2021. I felt the Lord move me here to Durbanville. Um, for the next season, um, with the agreement um, of the other leaders there at Stellenbosch's side. Um, and it also coincided with me starting my first job here in Brackenfell as a transportation engineer. So, yeah, I, I, I'm only two years in, I'm learning what it is, so I won't try and explain to you what that is. But we work with traffic and, and call, things like that. <laughs> yeah, so just... Um, you know, a few months later, after I joined this congregation in Denville Central, I was prayed in as an elder, or ordained as an elder, and soon after that, um, the Lord was moving my beautiful and lovely wife, Laura, <laughs> all the way from Stellenbosch to, to join my side here also. And then we got married about seven months ago. So, yeah, just to say the least, this past two years, it's probably the most changes I've experienced in my life. And the way I describe it is I just try and hold on to Jesus with both my hands as much as possible. And if needed, I use my feet also to just hold on because this has been a wild journey this past two years. And yeah, Jesus, he stays my anchor in and through all of this. So why am I sharing all of this? Um, it's not because I'm anyone special or have achieved any type of greatness. But it's so that Christ can be made known and the power of his might. He is the key. He is the core of who I am. Without him, I am nothing. 
And also for me, this is to show that each one of us has got a testimony and a story to share about what he has done in your life. Um, for all of us who have put our trust in him, of course. Yeah, so I think that's my, my encouragement. But with that, I want to go look just a few testimonies in the Bible. Like, What does the scriptures teach us about our testimony and the power of our testimony? So if you look at the one scenario of um, the woman at the well where Jesus went and met her, he told her all the things she has ever done. Um, and she realized, but hey, this is the Messiah. And out of thanksgiving and honor to God, she went and told that entire town that she has met the Messiah. Come, look and see. She wanted others to also taste and see what she has experienced. And yeah, she was probably not very welcome in the town, but she didn't care. She went for it. And we also have another more detailed account um, yeah, of the great New Testament writer Paul and the apostle. Um, and when he was arrested by a Roman um, soldier, uh, while the, the Jewish people wanted to mob him and attack and seize him, he just asked, hey, can I just have a quick opportunity to speak to the, the crowd? You know, the guys who wanted to kill him. Just asked, and the Roman soldier says, yes, go for it. And here, here we go. So with this, I want you to notice the three key parts of Paul's testimony. The one is the before Christ, before he met Jesus. The second one is how he met Jesus. The third one is his life after he met Jesus. So it's quite a long portion of scripture. I will just take us through it step by step. But just take in. See if you can see how was Paul before Jesus? How did he meet him? How was he after he met Jesus? Okay, let's go. Acts 22, verse 1 to 5. Okay, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. This is now the mob who seized Paul. And Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So the Jews, they were very zealous for God. Um, they were Pharisees and yeah, but they didn't know Christ as the Lord and Savior. Paul then says, I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. So Paul actually persecuted Christians. When he says the way, it actually means um, people who follow Jesus, the way of Jesus, which are Christians. So he persecuted them. He, he killed them. He drew them to prison. That was sort of Paul's testimony because he was zealous for God. He wanted to do right for God. And then um, he says, for for them, I received letters to the brothers, uh, from them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds into Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul was actually on his way to go and bring more Christians into to jail and to punish them. And now we go to the next portion, um, how he was saved. Acts 22, verse 6 to 13. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. It's also interesting to note here, Jesus says to Saul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And by this time, Jesus was already in, in heaven, ascended to heaven. 
But Paul was actually persecuting the church. And we can see even in Jesus' words, he said, listen, you're persecuting me, my church. Jesus puts himself as, with one of the church. Just interesting to note here also just how I think Jesus really, that was his heart. Verse 9, now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all Jews who live there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. So just to paraphrase this a bit, so Saul was on his way uh, to Damascus and this light from heaven came. It was probably have been quite out of this world for the guys who were around him. Then he became blind and he heard this voice from heaven. And then um, the Lord told him, go here, go there, do this. And that's sort of how Paul was converted, how he was saved. It was quite a dramatic um, conversion. Um, but nonetheless, that is how the Lord had to speak to him. Um, okay, now, how does Paul's life look now after? So Acts 22, verse 14 to 21. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you, this is now Ananias, I believe. Oh, what is now your Ananias? The God of our Father appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. You will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem, so Paul speaking again, and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance um, and saw him saying to me, Make haste. And get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those um, who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So just, just speaking about how Paul's life then looked off he met Jesus. He, he was a spokesperson for the Lord. He was sent of the Lord, an apostle. And he heard a, the Lord's voice clearly. The Lord told him, okay, now go here, go here. You'll be a witness to me to the Gentiles. I think that is how, how his life looked. And we can see just the, the testimony of um, the impact Paul made. He wrote um, half of the books, maybe more than half of the New Testament books in the New Testament. We're not sure who wrote Hebrews or not. We can't confirm it. But chances are good that this man who was so powerfully used by God, um, this is how he was converted. And this is how he told his testimony and his story. So I think we can learn a lot from this. Just seeing the three building blocks, and even for us, when we tell our testimonies, remembering those three blocks. Before Jesus, how I met him, and after. So let's make this a bit more personal for us now. Um, I've just shared my testimony. We've read Paul's testimony. Um, but how does this apply to us? How does this apply to you? That's the question I want us to ask ourselves. So there is one portion in the book of Revelation where John writes about the power of our testimony. That's Revelation 12, verse 11. So just before I go in here, just some context. Um, just before this is actually a few um, 
interesting imagery about the enemy, the devil coming and persecuting the church and persecuting God's people. So this is the this, this story almost like the devil is coming. He's attacking us. He's slandering and accusing us. And then um, John writes this verse, verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. This is now the believers who believe in Jesus. They have conquered him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb. That's by Jesus' sacrifice. And by the word of their testimony, by actually um, recounting the events, recounting what the Lord has done for them, remembering what they've done, that actually brought them victory over the enemy. The last thing, they did not love their lives even unto death. That can be a sermon on it for its own day, but not even their own lives. They didn't count it as valuable. It was all for Jesus. And so, therefore, our testimony can even be sometimes a form of spiritual warfare where we fight against the enemy and what he says to us um, because we recall what Jesus has done. It's important that we remember this and that we um, share this with others. And just remind ourselves, even as the enemy comes up his attacks, let's just remind ourselves of what he has done. Stand firm on what Jesus has done for you. On the other hand, our testimonies are also a powerful way to share the gospel, which means good news. Um, so the gospel is basically good news with others. Just a scripture here is Romans 1, verse 16 to 17. Um, and this is Paul writing to the Romans, um, the Roman church. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what Paul says is he's not ashamed of the gospel. So the good news of Jesus, he's not ashamed of that because he knows, he has seen it. It is the power of God unto salvation. And it's it's not so much our words and how eloquently uh, good we put our words together, but actually the fact that the gospel is going out, that we're testifying about Jesus, that itself is powerful. Not just how well we put our testimony together, because that's just works of man. We, we need to prep it, I'll get to that now, but I think the key is the gospel itself, the message of Jesus is powerful, and we can't fight against it. That's the thing that cuts people to the heart, knowing that, oh, I, I'm a sinner, I was born a sinner, um, I need um, forgiveness of my sins, and only Jesus and His perfect price He paid for me on, on the cross can pay that price for me, and then I have eternal life. That's basically the gospel in a nutshell. And, and with that, there's also two types of testimony. So, yeah, so that's one point, going to the next points. Two types. So the one is, yeah, I think some of you might be thinking, yeah, I do preach the gospel, and if necessary, I use words. I think that's, you've probably heard that slogan sometimes, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. I think this is actually hinting towards that we should be Christians that represent an example of Jesus. Our character and who we are should reflect who he is um, before we just go and testify of him. Because many people testify of Jesus, but the characters aren't that great. Or I'll give you a story now. So that's a nonverbal way of sharing your testimony is your example. But that is sometimes a bit... Half, it's a half truth. I'll, I'll give you the other half now. But just on the focus of your example, I, I've got a friend, um, I don't know, before he was saved, uh, he was out partying. Um, I think he was a bit lacquer drunk. And then what also happened, there was another guy um, I started testifying to him and sharing the gospel with him or something like that. But this guy was also drunk. So now it's two drunk people speaking to each other. And um, 
so my one friend, he's like, okay, I hear what you're saying. There's some truth in there. I, it's cutting me to the heart, but hey, you're drunk. I'm not going to listen to you. And he just went off. So later on, he did get saved. Um, but I think that just is such a vivid, a clear picture for us. We can't be drunk and be sharing the gospel. We need to live rightly before the Lord. Um, and that drunkenness is just one example. There's others like anger or um, impatience or a few other stuff, you know, sins that we can be holding on to that we need to get out. So our testimony actually carries the full power intended by Jesus. The other side, that was nonverbal, our example, is the verbal side. That's why I said is the half-truth. If necessary, use words. Actually, what the Bible teaches us, we should always use words. And let's go to Romans um, 10, verse 13 to 17. So, this is quite a lot of scripture, but I think I'll, I'll read it through for us. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him if whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Um, also then the gospel. Yeah. And then it goes, goes on. But I think that's the crux of that, that scripture. Is the Lord wants people to be saved. He wants them to believe. He wants them to hear. He wants people to preach. And he wants to send us. I think that's what this, this portion of the scripture is telling us. We must go and preach. It's not just for the pastor or the sermon or the elder. The Bible speaks we are priesthood of believers. We all should be doing the work of ministry. And that forms part of, of this. Where we should all be, be willing and ready to share the gospel. So with that, we all have a testimony to share. Um, we need to realize that I, for long, when I was in Bible school, I thought, I don't have a testimony. No, I just, I was just always saved or grew up in a Christian house. I have no of these big sins that I've got this massive testimony. But somewhere in that, I realized, but actually, I do have a testimony. And I must just go and seek the Lord. But Lord, what have you actually done in my life? And that's, that's the way I presented it now. I didn't. I wasn't this fraught apple which is sinning the whole time. I had a lot of good flesh, you know, that's not helpful and pleasing to the Lord. But I asked him, Lord, show me what is it that you've done in my life and let me testify of that. Sometimes we need to go seek out, Lord, what have you done in me and what can I share? And then take it from there. So it's important to actually go sit and hear. Because for long I believed a lie, I don't have a testimony. And that's a lie from the enemy. Each one of us sitting here. If Jesus has done something in your life, you've got a testimony to share. Another important thing is just to be vulnerable in while we're sharing. It doesn't help we just give all our strengths and this is how good I am and you flex and stuff. We sometimes just need to be vulnerable, share the bad stuff also. Because people can relate to that. So none of us are perfect and in Jesus is. So let's, let's show that part so they can relate, so they can also meet him. The one who, who makes us perfect. Um, then just a, a, a quick side note also. I think a lot of the times people are like, but should we prepare or should we let it flow? There's like two things. John Piper's got a good video of this. Uh, and the one side, Jesus says, um, don't be anxious when you get before the, the council of people, if they persecute you, to share your testimony. Um, but the Holy Spirit will give you the words at that moment to share what you need to share. Peter, on the other side, writes, uh, you must always be ready to give an account for the faith that you have and why you believe in Jesus. So you can think this is a contradiction. But actually, it's not. Both of this was in the context of a very hostile environment where Christians are being persecuted. What Jesus was saying is, don't be anxious. If they're persecuting you, if you need to go to trial tomorrow, 
You know, don't be anxious and stressed and write all your words out nicely. Relax. Trust in the Lord. Um, have faith in Him. Don't be anxious and allow Him to speak through you and flow with it as it needs to go. Well, Peter, on the other hand, so always be always ready. Don't just sit back and say, I'll just wing it when I get there. We need to make ourselves ready so that when someone asks us, we're ready to give a sharp and a good answer of why we have um, our testimony. I believe even as Paul shared, he didn't just wing it there. I think he practiced his testimony a lot of times um, to get it as clear and um, precise as he, the way he delivered it. Okay, that's a mouthful. We're all still awake. Okay. Now we're going to get to some practical tips how to share your testimony. But first, it's always good to, to see a nice bad example. So most of people's testimonies go like this. They focus on all the bad stuff. I was a sinner. I did this. I did that. Go, go, go. Or whatever. For long, they just, it's long-winded. And people like that. It's interesting stories. They can sort of relate to that. Then they just mention, oh, then I met Jesus and my life was changed. And they go on. And now this person just listen to the stories like, yo, this person was a really bad person. Wow, crazy stuff. And they've got no sense of the gospel. So why is this not a good approach, the way I just shared it like I shared it? Um, first question is, where is the gospel in this? Where is the emphasis on Jesus? He should be the foundation. That should be the message that comes across, the goodness of God, how he changed you um, afterwards. Secondly, you spoke, you spoke more about yourself than Christ. So that's also not too great. Some people like to do that. Um, but we should have Jesus as the focus. Um, too much emphasis on the bad. Just get some balance in it. Before Jesus, how I met him after. And also no reality of how your life changed. You didn't share how Jesus came in and how your life actually changed from the bad to the good or the better. So that's some key points. Um, that's why that's a bad approach. So here are some good pointers. So take note of these six of them. But good pointers, I think, for us to deliver our testimonies effectively. So keep it short. I think that's the first thing. Three minutes is usually a good time um, to get your testimony um, because if it gets too long, people can't focus so long. Um, so keep it short and sweet. Keep it to the focus. Keep it clear. But don't go off, off on all tangents and stuff. Even as I was preparing, I was forcing myself to write it point by point. Every way I said, listen, not details, details later. I used to in the past just give the details, and I think I lost people. So I tried to just refine it and make it a bit more short and sweet. Have a before, how, and after. I think I've mentioned that a few times. I think that's key. Having those three building blocks will hopefully ensure you don't go off on rabbit trails of how bad you were. Okay, thirdly, have a theme. So uh, this is actually something I thought, never thought about, but for me, um, the theme I chose is my, my speech impediment. How the Lord, I really struggled to speak, struggled to relate to people, how the Lord changed that. And I think with this is actually where some skill can come in. Because I've shared my testimony from the angle of, okay, I always wanted to get married. That was an idol in my heart. So for some people, I would feel the Spirit lead me in that direction. So I would, I would um, string together my testimony that that's the theme. Sometimes it would be striving. How I've strived to um, perform or serve a lot. But actually, that's not what Jesus wanted from me. I would string along my testimony like that. So having a theme, sticking to the theme is actually helpful because then you can actually speak to different audiences or to different people. So that's actually where the spirit-led part of your testimony comes in. So if you practice it enough, it will become easier. Fourth, clearly present the gospel, as I mentioned. Um, we need to mention somewhere that you're a sinner, um, that we need Jesus um, as our Savior, and only He is the, the price 
his life on the cross is the price that actually can change our lives. And then we need to actually repent of our sins. That's some of the building blocks. Um, there's different variations, but I think that's the key. I'm a sinner. Jesus saved me. need to repent and put your faith in him. Then the fifth one, um, avoid Christianese. So, yeah, Christianese is basically you speaking language people don't understand. So I think if people are in a church so long, they learn words like sanctification or justification or the blood of the Lamb. You know, if you speak to someone and you say, I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb, and they don't know the context of the Bible, they're going to think, yo, this is very weird, that there's somewhere a lamb, you probably slaughtered and wiped yourself of the blood. That's a gross image for an unbeliever to get. So I think there's wisdom in how we present it. So try and take all that weird Christian words out that we put in and make it clear and understandable. I think that's important. The last point, practice, practice, practice. Um, we need to practice this thing. We need to get it um, you know, running smoothly. So ways to do that is write your points down. Maybe ask a friend and just share it with them. Maybe in your own room or in the shower. You just share your testimony. Just practice it a bit. You'll, you'll find the places where you sometimes get derailed or where you should put the focus on. So those are the six practical points. So you know, as I'm coming to the end, we need to remember our testimony is powerful. Jesus has given us, each one of us, a testimony. Um, and we need to ask God what it is, what he wants us to highlight. We need to use our words, um, and we also need to prepare ourselves and practice the skill a bit. So, I want to call us to action. And I think, oftentimes, this is one thing I've learned, actually from a friend that was drunk. Um, and, yeah, but he eventually became such a powerful um, I think, person in evangelism. And I remember one of the things he used to do is he would pray every morning, Lord, give me opportunities to share. Lord, give me opportunities for the gospel. He would just pray that. And there was times I was praying this message of this prayer almost every day. And it was like, I'm just seeing opportunities arise all over. They were always there, but it's like my eyes weren't opened. So I think that's one very practical thing. We can actually start praying the Lord for, Lord, give me opportunities today. Give me opportunities to share. So... I want to ask us, in line with this sermon now, and also, I think the Lord is urging us, I want to ask us, but I want to pray for us specifically, for those who feel like, hey, I want to step out, I want to ask some more opportunities. So maybe you can just raise your hand if you feel somehow this thing has resonated with your heart, then I can pray for you. You can just lift your hand quickly so I can see who it is I'm praying for. Okay. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a Savior, God. You are the one that, that loves us. You are the one who died for us. Jesus, we want to obey you, Lord, as you ask us in the Scriptures to, to go share our testimonies and stories to the ends of the earth, Lord, and make disciples of nations, see people get saved. But Lord, I want to pray, will you help us, Jesus, as it's sometimes difficult for us, and we need boldness, God. We don't want to look back, Lord, or say, but okay, but rather let that one do it or this one. We don't want to have that fear that holds us back. So I pray, Lord, will you just break off every fear, Lord, that's holding us back to, to be bold and share um, our stories, Lord. I want to pray for opportunities, Lord, um, to increase in our midst where we can testify, where people will actually come and ask us, but hey, why are you so friendly? Hey, why are you so confident even though things are difficult? And we can share in that moment, but let me tell you a story, a short one. But it will be effective, Lord, in, in reaching the lost God. And God, you will use us, Lord, and you will bring in the lost Jesus. So, um, at your, yeah, because your heart is longing for, for none to get 
are lost and for each one to be saved. So I pray, Lord, whoever you know, just felt in their heart, hey, I want to give myself to this. Um, yeah, be with them, strengthen them in boldness in Jesus' name. Amen.